Thank you, Tim, and our children for helping us to remember what this season is about. In the church, we do call this season Advent. It is a season of anticipation, and that is where we have been last week and will be for the next two weeks after today. And during this season, we are celebrating the original Christmas carols. And by that, I do not mean Silent Night or Away in a Manger. I mean these four songs that we find in the beginning of Luke's gospel. In the first two chapters, some of the characters just randomly start singing as if they are in a Broadway musical where they're talking and then all of a sudden, like a little ditty comes on and they just start bellowing sweet music. When you're reading the text, you can kind of tell this by the way that it's indented and spaced a little bit differently and the way that it says Mary sang. So this morning we are celebrating this song from the mother of Jesus. It comes as she visits her cousin Elizabeth, and she sings about this baby that is in her womb. We call this song the Magnificat, and that's a subject for this morning's sermon. So will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, there's there's a lot of people here today. It should be better than that. Y'all know me enough now. I'm, other than Kathy, I'm the longest tenured preacher at this church. So y'all should know that when I say, and all God's people said, when we say amen, it's like we mean it or we don't say it at all. Because you don't have to say it, but if you're going to say it, just say it like you made it. So let's try it again. And all God's people said, amen. Man, see, that's the church that loves Jesus right there. I tell you what. A number of years ago, I was leading worship for a confirmation retreat at Camp Glisten in North Georgia. It's a beautiful camp if you've never been there. It's right outside Dahlonega. I, I one day might, you know, retire to Dahlonega. I just tell you, that's the most pretty place. I was leading worship for my home church, First United Methodist Church in Dothan, Alabama. And the person who was the assistant youth minister whenever I was a student had transitioned to be the sole youth minister. So I knew him. We were friends. His name was Andy. And they were still running confirmation retreat the same way they did whenever I was in the sixth grade. And all of the worship services were centered around adding symbols to the stole you would wear on the day of your confirmation. Unlike our stoles, the ones at First Dothan, they were white and we drew on them with markers in our own hands to, to add the symbols that were meaningful to our faith journey. For example, some of us, we would, we would all add our favorite scripture. We were asked to add the names of God, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to draw some of our favorite Christian images, like the ichthus or the Cairo. You could add a symbol that was meaningful to your life, and it didn't have to be religious. So for me, it was a guitar. It wasn't a very good guitar, but it was a guitar. I could tell it was a guitar. And then Andy, though, this year, he changed something just a little bit, and he added a new part that we did not talk about whenever I was a confirmand. He told all of the students to write this word on their stole. He told them to write the Greek word theotokos. He explained to them how they would be 
carrying Christ into the world wherever they went. The Theotokos meant to bear God, and so that they were God-bearers. And I found this quite humorous, pretty funny, because I was finishing my first year of seminary. And if you've ever met someone while they are in seminary, you can also attest that once a person gets a couple Bible classes under their belt, maybe a theology class that they've experienced, they become pretty much the expert on all things religious. They know what everybody else ought to know, and they know what you get wrong. And I was just as self-righteous as any other first-year seminarian because Andy told his students this, and I couldn't help but laugh, because during seminary, we've already done a little bit of Hebrew and Greek work, and I knew that the Greek word theotokos was not some general term applied liberally to each Christian. It was the designation for Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she literally bore God into the world. She was the carrier of the Christ child. She gave birth to Jesus. So she was the actual theotokos. So Andy was essentially telling all of these sixth graders that they too were pregnant teenagers who had the divine God-man in their womb. And I couldn't help but laugh. I decided to hold my tongue for the moment because there's no need to embarrass Andy in front of his students just because I knew more than he knew. But later I confronted him and I said, you know you just told all those kids they're the mother of Jesus? And he said, what are you talking about? And I explained to him about the Greek meaning and what, where it came from and the tradition of our church. And, and he looked kind of surprised at first, but then he said something interesting. He said, oh, well, they already wrote it in marker. It's on their stole. And if they're half as good as that lady was, then they'll be doing twice as good as me. And at first I thought he was just silly. But the more I thought about it, I realized that perhaps he was onto something quite profound. You see, my seminary education wrapped in word study and pompous self-righteousness was blinding me to truths that can exist well outside the world of scholastic conversations. I thought he was disrespecting the role Mary played in bearing Jesus into the world, but his comments made me realize that perhaps I was the one that was failing to see how we could all take on the characteristics of this theotokos. That encounter has since colored the lens through which I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the featured soloist of this morning's original Christmas carol. Many of us know the details of her story, of her life. She was a girl from Nazareth, betrothed to Joseph, then had an angel visit her and inform her that she would bear God's son into the world and that she shouldn't be afraid about it. After this encounter, she visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist, And as soon as Mary approached her cousin, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy, saying, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And the next verse is where Mary spontaneously breaks into song. She says that her soul glorifies the Lord. She gives thanks to God for how he was mindful of her humble state, the lowly state of the servant. The mighty one has done great things for me, she says. She sings, but then her focus shifts away from herself. And she says, his mercy extends to those who fear him, that he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. She says, he has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
And she concludes by singing about how God has remembered Israel and he was merciful. This whole song is referred to as the Magnificat. It's celebrated for its bravery and faith in the face of unbelievable circumstances that despite bringing a child into the world without having first been with her soon-to-be husband, despite being visited by an angel, Mary, in the face of challenging odds, said that the Mighty One has done great things for her. Would the rest of us in her position say the same thing? Her bravery, as impressive as it is, is also a bit confusing to me, I'll be honest. Because as I was reading this over and over again, preparing for the sermon, I couldn't help but wonder if Mary was even right. Was she right to be so profuse in her praise of God's work? Is the Magnificat still magnificent? Or was she just the naive little girl who thought the world was going to be changed for better and that God was going to turn everything upside down? Because think about it. Mary said that God has scattered the proud, that he has brought down rulers, that he has lifted up the humble, that he has filled the hungry with food and sent the rich away empty. But when I look around this world, it seems like the opposite is true. We have the wealthiest few controlling the well-being of the many. We have people full of pride, not being scattered, but installed as leaders around the world. There are homeless and hungry people on almost every corner, on almost every city around the world. And Israel continues to be one of the most hostile and violent places on the planet. I mean, maybe Mary lived in a different reality than I do. Perhaps she just had wishful thinking. But when I look around this world, I do not see too much of what Mary was saying had and was taking place. I mean, do you? Whenever I was a a child, a fad swept over the nation. It was called the magic eye. Do you remember these magic eyes? There's one printed in your bulletin. I invite you to turn there and look at it. See, these magic eyes, they're very fascinating optical illusions. They contain hidden images or messages beneath the pictures. These magic pictures, they became all the rage as adults and children were trying to see if they could see the hidden images, the hidden meanings behind the scrambled or distorted picture on the page. It was not uncommon to walk up on a stranger or a classmate as they had their nose pressed up all the way to the card and then were slowly retracting the image from their face to try to stare cross-eyed, absently searching for some hidden image, as I see some of you doing now. I promise, you don't look silly. Maybe just a little bit. You see, there's a trick to these illusions, to these magic eyes. You had to look at something you had already seen and try to see something different. The card doesn't change, the image doesn't change, you don't get special glasses or a new set of eyes. The only thing that has changed was the way you have to try to look at the exact same thing you were already viewing. I can't see the images. Apparently I'm not, I don't have it figured out. Colleen can see them really well. She, she told me immediately, so did Michael. I guess they had this special vision Maybe you see, in this picture, there's an I heart you hidden. I don't see it. But I remember what my friend Andy had said. If I was half of who Mary was, then maybe I'd be twice as good as I am now. And I forced myself to ask, what is it that Mary saw that I don't? Or better yet, 
how was it that Mary viewed the world? And why don't I see the deeper truths that lie beneath the surface? What colors her lens that might be absent from mine? And I think it likely centers on the fact that Mary sees herself as lowly. Mary is a young girl with no money, no land, no power, no influence, no real responsibilities. According to her culture, she has little to no social worth outside of her ability to bear children. But despite her place in the social hierarchy, God chooses her to bring the Messiah into the world. She saw firsthand this truth that God raises up the lowly. This one moment, this one deep reality that she is able to see clearly for herself changes the way she sees the entire world. If God can do this one thing for me, a poor, lowly girl, imagine what God can do for the rest of the world. She realizes that because of this new sight, this new way of seeing, she's able to see the things that God has done, that God is doing, and that God is going to do, which she previously could not see. If God can make her the bearer of Christ into the world, there's no limit to what God can do. I think many of us have a hard time seeing the world Mary did because we don't see ourselves as Mary saw herself. We don't see that we too were lowly and that God has raised us up. God has chosen us to bring the light of the kingdom into this earth. Mary realized that just to be recognized by God is an unimaginable reversal of fortune. And when she realized that she was recognized by the God of all things, she could see the hidden truths that existed. They were there all along, like the magic eye. She just changed the way she saw things. I think whether or not the Magnificat is still magnificent depends on how you see yourself and how you see God. Do you see yourself as someone who is reliant on your own abilities and have no need for God's saving grace? Do you see yourself as irredeemable because something you have done, something you have said, something you have thought? Do you see yourself as unworthy because you are not the social elite or the smartest in the class or the wealthiest? Do you see God as far away and distant? Do you see God as removed as some dictatorial tyrant waiting to punish you for your every misstep? The beauty in Mary's song is that it helps us understand no matter who you are, no matter what's gone on in your life, the good news this Christmas, this Advent season that we're waiting to experience is that God is drawing near. Emmanuel means God with us. You too are being recognized by God the Most High. And God is choosing you to raise up and bear witness to the Messiah. And I'll leave you with this. God's drawing near to you might look different than it does for your neighbor. God's drawing near to us might not look exactly like Mary's. Mary was lowly and had to be raised up. 
And in so doing, she drew near to God. But some of us think we're already raised up and maybe we need to be brought low. It says God will humble the proud but raise up the lowly. I don't know what that means for you, how God is going to be working in your life. But whether you're being raised up or like I probably need, being offered a dose of humility, I believe this, that in this Advent, in this season of waiting, Mary's song is a realization of a deep and powerful reality that God is drawing near. And that when we realize that, it will change the way we see the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.